glad that you've chosen to take the time to go through God's Word with us at FX Church today. We're in this series in the midst of 1 John called, So That, dot, dot, dot. Um, That phrase John uses a lot when he writes um, and talks about who God is. And you know, John was living in a time of uncertainty. It seemed as if there was no trustworthy information, which is why he Paul and James wrote their letters that we have in the New Testament. Few people seem to be truly seeking God and His Word for answers. The church is a mess, and you don't know who or what to believe. This sounds like our time, doesn't it? That's the same context that John has, or God has John write his letter of 1 John. And God has John write this letter so that we can know His truths, show love for God's commands, and grow in His love, so that our joy might be complete, or may be complete. A lot of people are trying to convince us of a lot of so-that's right now. They're telling us this is what you should do, so that this will be the result. And you know, the problem we have, and we dive into this next section of 1 John, is that the best lies that someone tells have a lot of truth. And hopefully, as we go through this First John series, you'll be able to find the hook. You know, it's kind of like fishing, where the best bait gets the fish to think it's real, um, and then they get the hook. And, and kind of that's what we've been going through. In First John 1, 1, it says, what was from the beginning? And so John says, let's go back and start over. Don't just accept the traditions, the truths, the, the place where you live, but let's go back and see what God's heart has been through the ages. And so he says, what was from the beginning? What we've seen and what we've heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So John lays it out and he says, if we're going to figure out how to do life together, to have fellowship and to be together, it's got to be done in the context of understanding our world and then understanding the person of God who is Father, who is Son, and who is Spirit. In verse 4, he says, We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John says, the, the, the main reason I'm writing this is because I recognize that there's a joy problem in the church and that there's a false joy problem. There's kind of this idea that you should have a smile and never struggle, and, and that's what true joy looks like but that's not what we necessarily see in Scripture. And then in 2.1, we looked at the next week, it said, so that you may not sin. Because if we're going to have joy, we have to figure out what's right and wrong, and we have to figure out how to live without hurting God and hurting other people. And in 2.19, it says, so that it might be made clear. So he says, I want to reiterate, I want to make some things clear so you understand what joy is, you understand what to do with your sin, the clarity of a relationship with God. And then in he says in 3.5, so that he might take away sins. And so John's like, I want to make it clear that God's desire is to forgive us, to take away our sins and to give us a new life. And that's 4.9. It says, so that we might live through him. And so John is kind of laying this out in his letter that he's writing to the churches of his day. And this week I want us to look at so that we can have confidence so that we have confidence and you know. Have confidence and you know. 
And so John is writing in this next section we're going to look at, that's what he's driving home. He's trying to say, I want to make sure that, that you understand how, how to have confidence and you really know what your confidence is in. And, and so, and, and really he says, have confidence in the day of judgment. And, and if we're really honest, we hate being judged. But there's no confidence without judgment. There, there's no confidence unless you know, did I please or didn't I please the person that I was serving? Did I do the right thing? Didn't I do the right thing? And that takes a judgment call. We have to make judgments. We need evaluation to evaluate us and tell us, are we making the right judgment so that we can have confidence about it, or aren't we? Do we have a false confidence because we've made bad judgments? And you know, we can all pretend in confidence until we get evaluated. Until there's an evaluation and a judgment, and then all of a sudden, isn't it so true sometimes that our confidence just fades away because we see that maybe we didn't do the right thing or we could have done it differently? Listen, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. It gives us the confidence to know how to walk with Him, how to not sin, how to love Him well, be in relationship with Him and be in relationship with other, other people, but then also so that we know, so that, so that you know what it means when you mess up that you can come back to Him. You see, God wants to build our confidence in Him, but that always comes through us constantly taking our lives to Him, giving them to Him so that He can evaluate, He can discipline, He can help us and give us the power to go back out and be different. And you know what? God's fine with the process of failure and faith, that we're going to step out in faith and we're going to fail. And God says, that's okay. I'll be there still in your failure. But He doesn't not call it failure. He just says, yeah, you failed. Let's admit that. Now let's figure out how to walk together so that you don't do that again. Let's, let's get some other people in your life to help you have confidence and faith and so that you know what to do when you fail. So let's dive in. And 1 John 4, 17, it says this, In this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as He is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because He first loved us. See, that's our problem. It's my problem, at least, is that I don't want to be judged because it kills my confidence, but that's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of people knowing that I'm not perfect. And you probably are too. You want to put your best foot forward. And while that's not wrong, with God, we have the ability to not be afraid of Him. And because He loves us and we love Him, we have the ability to go before Him, knowing that He's going to tell us the truth, evaluate us, but then also forgive us and then empower us to be different. That's the miracle of the Christian faith that's different than any other religion out there. And we are able to have that confidence to go like Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says, to, to go to His throne of grace, to, to come before His throne, to ask Him, because He first loved us. See, God created man. He didn't have to. And then, in the midst of that creative process, the Trinity agreed to their part for the rest of human history, which means Jesus Himself agreed. He agreed that He was going to come and He was going to 
love us first, pay the price for us. And that's the amazing thing. You know, in Matthew 25, there's a story about the sheep and the goats and how one day Jesus is going to come back to judge and he's going to separate the sheep, those that are believers that know him from the goats, the goats that get cast out. And in that passage, you know, he, he talks about how will you know the difference? And it was about how they saw their service, how they served other people and what they expected to get from that service. And the, the goats couldn't believe they were being judged and the sheep knew that, well, I just tried to obey you. And, and, and if you said I didn't, great. And if you did, great. Like I, I wasn't I was so confident in my relationship with you because I'm a sheep and I hear the shepherd's voice and I know you that I wasn't afraid to step out and serve the person that was hungry and the one that needed and to make good judgment calls in life. And you know, perfect love judges, it disciplines, it tells the truth. Imperfect love doesn't. It just doesn't. And the, the enemy wants us to believe that God doesn't love us. He wants us to think that God wants to punish us versus know us intimately. And so he wants to get us separated from God instead of coming to him warts and all and knowing that he loves us and that he created us so that he could show us what it really meant to know him and to experience an agape, an unconditional love from him that then causes us, because of the free gift of salvation that we receive through what Jesus did on the cross, to respond back to Him in love. You know, we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid, like we looked at last week, of getting rid of the fleshly desires that we have, crucifying the flesh and our passions, because we can know that we're so consumed with His love, why would I want anything else but Him? And so to gain this confidence, we're going to have to allow God to eliminate the places in our life that just aren't good for us, to to make evaluations and judgment calls to help us. And He first loved us to show us, and He gave His life to show us that even if He asks us for all of our life, we can trust Him for a resurrection and a life forever. In 1 John 4.20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, he has seen, cannot love God, he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother. Now, there's two kinds of brothers. There's the brotherhood of the body of believers. That's someone who who is a believer in Jesus Christ. But then there's those that are human brothers and sisters. They're, they're humans that, that we're to care and love for, and we don't know if they're going to repent. We don't know if they're going to come to know Christ yet or not, if they are, as Jesus said, sheep from his fold that he has not reached yet. And so we have to walk this very carefully. We have to do what the loving thing is for the other person. And can I tell you that there are things when you read the Bible that seem very unloving, but they are loving. There there are commands. There are things God asks us not to do. And it seems like he's trying to hold out on us. And that was the original sin of Eden, but he's not. He's telling us because he cares enough to tell us. You see, God is love. and, And that is true, but 
Also, God tells us there are some things he hates, and he uses the word hate in Scripture. And so it's not like God stops loving when he says that he hates something. It's because of his love that God tells us there are things that I just hate because it ruins the picture of what my love looks like, and it ruins the picture of what love should be in relationships. So he says, these are some things I hate. I'm going to list a few. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Well, what's evil? Well, it's anything that God says is not of him. That means it's, it's evil. Anything he said not to do. It goes on, it says, I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. And then in verse 14, it says, I possess good advice and competence. I have understanding and strength. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, the one who will not use the rod, that means the rod of discipline, hates his son. But the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Listen, We don't discipline ourselves. We need people in our lives because we will move to safety and comfort and whatever's good for us every time. We have to put the right people in our lives who won't just beat us all the time, but but that we know that they have the authority to maybe discipline us in a way that's a little painful because we know it's good for us. This is why people hire personal trainers. They pay people to hurt them to push them because they know they need that desperately and they know that that that's loving to get them in shape and to take care of their body. But then when it comes to spiritual things, it's like that's off limits. To have people in our lives that we give permission to like and pay and give permission to tell us to do hard things and one more rep and you can do it. When we hear that, it's like, how dare you judge me? In Proverbs 15, 10, it says, Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path, but the one who hates correction, and the one who hates correction will die. So discipline seems harsh to the one who's decided, I'm not going to follow God and His ways. Yeah, then discipline's going to seem really harsh because it's going to be harsh trying to pull you back. And then he says, the one who hates correction, you're going to go down a path of death. Proverbs 12, 1, it says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but who, but the one who hates correction is stupid. And we live in a world where we can't stand to be corrected. In 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 4, 1, Paul is writing to his young disciple, his mentor, Timothy. He's getting ready to turn all the authority of managing and encouraging and shepherding the shepherds who shepherd the churches that Paul planted. And this is what he tells him. In 4.1, he says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. That's before Yahweh and before uh, the Messiah, who is Yahweh, who saves, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message. Well, what's the message? The message is one that we need to submit and surrender to God. We need to give our lives to Jesus and allow Him to pay the price that we deserve, the the correction that we deserve, the discipline we deserve that, that should be punishment, to ask Him to be our Father, to help us learn how to discipline our lives for the glory of Him and His kingdom 
and the glory of others that we want to see how loving our Father is. So he says, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they, that's people, will not tolerate sound doctrine. That means they won't tolerate what the Bible says. They just won't. It doesn't matter how well you back it up. It doesn't, they've already made up their mind. He said they will not tolerate it, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Look, we live in a world where it's constantly the new thing, the new church, the new, the shiny thing we go after. We're going through this COVID crisis and there's a new thing and a new thing and a new thing. And it's not wrong to, to learn and to read. But can I tell you, if, if we would just practice some simple things that have been tried and true things for, for a long time, we wouldn't have to be tossed to and fro with these new things. And it says that they'll multiply teachers for themselves. They'll, they'll actually get teachers, pay teachers to tell them what they want to hear. And in verse 4, it says, They will turn away from hearing the truth, will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. He goes on to say, and we have to remember that when he says, you know, the one who loves God must love his brother, well, then that begs the question of how do I love my brother well? You see, there's, there's the easy ways that we know to love, which is to provide for him, to give him something he needs. But there's also like confronting a brother or sister that we see is headed down a path that's destructive. And Matthew 18 talks about how to do that. When Jesus is speaking in Matthew 18, he says, you go to confront them one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, you, you bring a second person with you. If that doesn't work, you, you involve the church and the church comes to that person and says, hey, we're... we're we love you. We care about you. Don't do this. This is not good for you. And if that doesn't work, the Bible says you're to treat them as an unbeliever, that the church would declare them they're not believing in God. That's what an unbeliever does, that based on their choice, based on where they're headed, they're saying that they no longer believe in God. Now, what do we do with someone who no longer believes in God? Well, we tell them that they need God's love. We tell them that you need to submit to God. We tell them you don't know what love is. You need to, to do what God asks you to do. And it says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2 that we're supposed to restore a brother gently, carefully, but we're to restore him. We're supposed to want to see him come back, that he's the lost sheep. We want to see him come back and be a part. See, if we're honest, the reason we don't know how to practice this and we like the love part of God that doesn't involve judgment or discipline or confrontation in a loving, gentle, patient, kind way is because we love our lives more than we love our brother or God, which is why we don't have the confidence to judge lovingly. Remember, he said, so that you might have confidence in the day of judgment. God wants us to have confidence in the way that we do life and make judgment calls in our life. He wants us to know who he is and know what he wants us to do. In 1 John 5, 1, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. Let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus, that Yahweh of the Old Testament who saves, is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the, the 
that he came from heaven to earth to, to be our Messiah, our Savior, to pay the price. And it says, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. He makes this so plain. He's like, look, it's not hard to tell if you're being loving or not. Are you doing what God asks you to do? Are you doing it in the way God would want you to do it? And if you're not, you're not really being loving. Now, it may look like you're being loving, but listen, there's a lot of love out there that is really just fancy manipulation. It's keeping the peace. It's, it's just, I'm going to love you because I just, I want you to feel good and I want to feel good. And then I want us to feel good together and I don't want to cause any problems. Listen, that's not what God commands. We just read what Timothy said about rebuke and correction and encourage and patience. Then he goes on in verse 3 of 1 John 5, 3. It says, for this is what love for God is. It's to keep his commands. Now his commands are not a burden. Can I just tell you that, that this is one of the hardest statements that's true, but we so often have been taught in our culture that God's commands are a burden, that following him is such a burden. Let me ask you, if you were in a relationship and the person looked at you and said, you know, I really love you, but man, it is just such a burden to have to listen to you. It's just such a burden. It's so hard to be around you. It's so hard to do what you ask me to do. I mean, it's just such a burden for me to be in this relationship. How would you feel about that? And yet that's what we pass around. I even catch myself saying it sometimes. Oh, it's just so hard to follow God. Why? If you know with confidence that you're loved, if you know that his commands are loving, then his commands and a relationship with him are not a burden. They're, they're a joy. They're a treasure. And then he goes on in verse 4 of chapter 5. He says, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world, that you understand that his commands are not a burden because you understand that by doing them, it, it overpowers the lies and the mess of the world around us, that we live in a world that's constantly trying to, to fit us into its mold. And we're saying, no, I will not be burdened by the things of this world. Not going to do it. I want to be burdened. I, I want to know that God's commands are, are what he wants. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. A yoke was a, a, a piece of farm equipment where two oxen would stick their head in and then the chain or the rope would go back to the plow or the cart and, and they would pull that machine or that thing through the yoke. And if you have one oxen that just sits down, it's really hard for the other one to pull. And Jesus said, my burden is, my yoke is easy. In other words, I'm in it with you. We're pulling together. This isn't a burden. It's a joy to be used for God's glory. And listen, that's what Jesus did. Jesus considered it pure joy to leave the rights of heaven, the Bible says, to come to earth so that he could love us. He didn't see it as a burden. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he should have called down angels and annihilated us, 
He said, no, this isn't a burden for me. I love God. I love you, Father, and I love what we agreed to, the covenants, and I love these people. See, here's our problem. We don't believe that holiness is happiness. We see holiness as a burden, obeying His commands, wanting to be whole, holy, be more like God. We don't see that as a pathway to happiness. We see holiness as keeping us back from happiness. And that is the original lie of Genesis chapter 3. That, that Satan told Adam and Eve, God's holding out on you. And we're still believing it today. When God says, I'm not holding out on you. I've died for you. I've, I've promised you eternal life if you know me. I, I'm not going to hold anything out from you. When you get to heaven, you'll get everything. I'm just asking you right now to wait. To wait. That's not holding out. That's just simply asking us to be patient, to, to serve, to, to learn how to, to love Him and love other people while we wait. And the reason God hasn't come back to conquer the world completely is because He said that He desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. So He's patiently pouring out His Spirit, pouring out faith, pouring out the knowledge of who he is into the world until finally people are done and they won't listen. And then he'll come back, the scripture says. He goes on in verse 4 and chapter 5 and says, this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Our faith. And it's not a blind faith. It's a faith, a confidence in the God of Scripture who has proved himself for thousands of years to be exactly who he says he is, to, to do exactly what he said he would do. And he's given us the last chapter of the book in Revelation to show us that there's a conquering, that we can have faith that he will come again. That Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. He says, I've just gone to prepare a place for you. So, you know, do your job, get ready, but someday I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to the place. I'm going to get you. But that, that's what it's going to be. And in verse five, it says, and who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. The one who, who really believes it, that, that they are all in by faith and believing that he is who he says he is. And let me tell you, it's not a fire insurance relationship. It's not where you say, well, if I just pray to receive Jesus and get baptized, then I can have the confidence that I'm not going to go to hell. Do you know how many people I talk to on a regular basis who doubt their faith and don't have confidence in their faith, not because they didn't pray a prayer, not because they didn't baptize, not because they haven't been going to church, but the reason they're doubting and that they doubt that they know him is because they're not being obedient in some area of their life and they refuse to surrender that to God. And when that happens, the disconnect happens and we begin to doubt. We don't believe. We begin to doubt that Jesus really is who he says he is and can do what he says he wants to do in our lives. You see, it's not a burden. This is the beautiful word of faith that God has given to us. And it's not works. It's not works. You see, either I try to earn my way to be loved and be adopted by God, 
or I simply respond to the reality of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he says he's going to do, which is faith. If I'm trying to earn his love or trying to be adopted by him and earn the right to be his child, that's not how it works. That's despicable to God. What he wants us to do is just to say, I'm done. I surrender. I'm yours. I want to be your child and you you discipline me. I know that if you discipline me, it means you love me. It doesn't mean you hate me. It means you want me to be more like you and you want me to represent you and you want other people to see how great it is to know you. And so I'm in on this relationship. In 1 John 5, 6, it says, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. We looked at that last week. Go back and listen to that message. We talked about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that that helps us to have confidence, that, that teaches us his word, that when we come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us up and gives us the ability to then walk with him. But here it says, Jesus who came by water and blood. There's a lot of discussion in many scholarship circles about what this means. But if you look scripturally at what this means, and even what Jesus told Nicodemus, when he says, if you're not born again, that you can't have, you can't be saved. You must be born again. We're born of water and of blood. You know, isn't it interesting that a baby, when the baby is growing, is in a sack of water. And when the water breaks, it's a signal that no longer are they in the water. They're coming out. So they're born by water. It's the same with blood, that we're born by the blood that Jesus poured out of himself on our behalf. Like a mother, like a mother who bore her children, that Jesus bore our sins like a mother who poured herself out to birth this child. Jesus poured himself out on the cross and poured his blood out so that we might be his children. The picture here is beautiful for Mother's Day. It is a beautiful picture. And then Jesus says, and then I give you my spirit. I give you my spirit so that he can help you have the confidence to remind you of what I did, that you are my child if you know me, if you have been born again, if you have allowed my blood, if you've grown and allowed my blood to forgive you and wash you clean, then you are are mine. Verse 7, it says, For these are the three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. And we know that when we come to know Jesus Christ, We receive his spirit, that Jesus washes us clean. Baptism is a symbol of that washing of cleanliness that we see in the Old Testament priests and the washing of people. We're even washing today for cleanliness and the blood. That there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, the scripture says. And if we don't allow Jesus's blood to be that remission, then it's on our head. And then he goes on and he says in verse 9, if we accept the testimony of man, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given 
about his son. I love this. You know, so many of us will look on Facebook, we'll, we'll look on social media, and we'll believe things, we'll repost things without doing our research because it fits our narrative. It fits our desires, which we talked about earlier, that we'll post things and and accept the testimony of men. Like they'll tell us a story and be like, oh man, I heard this great story without even fact checking it to find out if it's true or not. We'll just take people at their word. But God's word and his testimony is much greater than man's word because God never lies. He speaks the truth. And it's God's testimony. The entire Bible is God's testimony about his son. From the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's the story of God was going to send a Messiah, a way out for us. He was going to cover our sin for us. That's the testimony of God. And yet we'll so easily believe men and then dismiss God's testimony that has been proven true over and over and over again. In verse 10 of 1 John 5, it says, The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within him. Listen, if if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, and you have committed your life to him, then the Spirit is at work, Jesus is at work cleansing you, showing you how powerful the relationship is based on the blood, that that we are, we have a new DNA. (laughs) And then it says, the one who does not believe God has, the one who does not believe has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. You see, so many people want to twist the scriptures. They want to add to Jesus. They want to add to his story instead of trusting Jesus. And in verse 11, it says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then in verse 13, John says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Man, what a clear message for us on this Mother's Day. That there is a God in heaven who wants us to know he's written these things to us who believe so that we can have confidence in the day of judgment. That the judgments that we're going through right now, the judgment of sin that happens all the time, that if we mess up and we have confidence or we have consequences that come with messing up, that we don't have to be afraid to confess that. We don't have to be afraid to bring that to God because God says, I want you to have confidence in the midst of judgment that I love you. And if you know my son, if you are in relationship with the family, you can believe me. And then he comes back around, John says, and there he said it at the beginning of, or at the end of chapter four, now at at the end of 1 John 5, he says it again, I'm telling you this so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me ask you, do you know that you have eternal life? Do, Do you know that there's nothing else you need, that the life that God has provided is enough? That there are problems in this life that you're going to die of something in this life at some point. No one gets out alive. But the message of Scripture is that we can have confidence 
in eternal life. That there is a life that God has for us that he wants to pour out. And if you remember what John said in the first part of the book, he said, I've written these things so that your joy may be complete. Listen, we live in a world that's a world of death. Things constantly dying, money running out, our money dying, our cars dying, our homes dying, our bodies dying. Our... We live in a land of death. But the Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's the discipline. See, it's such a beautiful Psalm 23 is a beautiful Psalm that just gives us the confidence that this is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. And the reason that we doubt that relationship, the reason that we doubt is not because of God. It's because of our inability to believe, to believe that becoming more like him, becoming holy, practicing holiness, obeying him will make us happy. We don't believe that. We want to be happy the way we want to be happy. We want to be comfortable and safe the way we want to be comfortable. And God says, I want you to have so much confidence in heaven that's coming, that will be there for eternity, that you're willing to surrender whatever days you have left on the earth to love me and to love other people and to tell them about this testimony of who I am and the relationship they can have and tell them that it's not a burden to do what the Father asks, that this is such a great family that we work together. You know, for Mother's Day today, our family, or yesterday yesterday on Saturday, our family spent the day, spent the day serving together. It's the first time we've ever done this. It might sound weird. We've served in other ways, but it's the first time we've done this. We got up, we, we put on our masks, we went to Lowe's, we, we got some plants for Susan that she wanted, and we spent the entire day doing yard work together. And then at the end of the night this evening, we had a cookout, roasted some hot dogs and s'mores over the fire. And I'm a, I mean, I was exhausted, but there was just a sense of confidence and joy of being together. And, and our kids were like, you know, we don't remember serving like this. And we're all exhausted and tired. But man, this was fun to do together. This was life-giving. You see, that's what it looks like to not see it as a burden that I have to be around this family. It's a burden that I have to help out in the yard. It's a burden that I have to love my mother who gave me birth. Listen. God is the one, Jesus is the one who gave us birth, the birth, the new life, born again. And we should want to serve with him and serve alongside him and find joy in it and know at the end, end of it all, we're probably going to be spent, we're going to be exhausted, but he invites us into the fellowship that First John in the first chapter talked about that this fellowship that we're invited, that we're going to be sitting around talking and laughing and feasting together, enjoying the moment that we have as his family members. See, that's the picture, great picture that God has for us that should be the picture of what we see on a Mother's Day. I know there are some of you out there who may be listening to this, who've had a hard life, that there have been some hard things for you, that Mother's Day is a hard day to celebrate. 
because of the loss that you have. Maybe if you're a mom and you're listening to it, it's a hard day because we're in the midst of being separated from one another and you can't be with your children or your grandchildren. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know if you're struggling with commands you haven't obeyed. If maybe you committed abortion and and you had an abortion and you killed your unborn child and you live with that and you're, you're struggling with how do I... How do I wrestle with that? I I don't know what you may be going through. There's a lot of emotions on days like this, but can I just tell you that there is a testimony about a God who says that he loves us. God is love and his love is perfected in his son. And Jesus came and lived a life and said, hey, it's not about the family you grew up in. It's about the family you can be a part of the family of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the extended family of those who truly walk with me, who obey my commands, and who love me. And God invites you to know that He is faithful and just, that if we will forgive, if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, I don't know what you're going through on this Mother's Day. Maybe you have a lot of celebration, but can I just tell you, God wants you to have confidence today. That when you look back over your life and you see judgments and maybe some wrong decisions, God says, I want you to know that if you have me, you have everything. There's nothing else you need. And no matter what you've done, there's forgiveness. Now, he's not going to leave us there because he's a good parent. He's going to begin to discipline us and teach us like a a parent does with a child so that we can be used for his glory to help other people know him and be invited into the family. That's what he does. But can I just tell you that the reason these things have been written is so that we can have confidence. And in the midst of the moment that we're in, in this moment, and the separation and the, the disease and the problems, can I just tell you, this is the time for us to find our confidence in this momentary bit of judgment, to know that if we have Him, we have every bit of life we could ever want, and we'll have eternal life with Him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this is your message. Thank you that He who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life that you offer. And so, Father, I pray that today those that are listening would would surrender to you. They would not see a relationship with you as a burden. When they look at the Bible, they wouldn't see it as a burden. They would see it as a love letter. And the commands that are there are loving. They're teaching us how to love you and love one another. And so, Father, I pray that they would recognize that. I also pray that if anyone has not made the decision to bow their heart to you, that they would do that today. They've been, they're listening because they've been born of the water. But if they're listening right now, it means your spirit is drawing them and working. That's the second part. And the third part is for us to invite the blood to wash us clean and be born again. And so, Father, I thank you that when we do that, then what happens is your spirit rushes in You begin to cleanse us and you begin to remind us of the blood you poured out and it's a continual process forever. And so if someone has not made that decision, I pray they would decide to make that decision today. And if they're struggling to make that decision, I pray they would talk to someone 
They're trying to figure out what this means, that they wouldn't just listen to this. They would ask someone who is a believer, who that they know obeys God's commands, that loves your commands. They don't do them to try to get something, to earn something or to prove something. They just love you like a a child with their father. I pray they would find a believer who has that shepherd, sheep, that father-child relationship, and they'd lean in to that person. And Lord, help us if we can be that for them in our church. And for those that are in our church, I pray that if, if we're struggling with the choices that we made, the commands, Lord, I pray that we get serious about taking your word serious and taking the next step to deal with the lack of confidence we have and to know that you love us and to know that we can have confidence by just simply doing what you ask us to do. And if we can help in any way, Lord, show us the body of Christ at FX Church how to help those that need and want help. And Lord, I thank you that this is your testimony. We couldn't make this up. Nobody could. And we give praise and glory and honor to your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week at the FX Church Podcast. If there's any way we can serve you, please go to our webpage, fxchurch.com. Contact us. Contact any of our staff. We'd love to reach out to you uh, in any way we can to pray for you, to help you, to, to, to help you take your next step of confidence in faith with God so that you might know Him more deeply and have more confidence and understanding of the life that awaits us. Have a great Mother's Day and happy Mother's Day to all those mothers out there.